We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Romans, and the 15th chapter this morning, the book of Romans, and the 15th chapter, and I will be reading and then preaching this morning on verses 14 through 21, Romans 15, verses 14 through 21. I invite you to read along silently as I read aloud this morning. Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 14. Here Paul writes, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this time together this morning in worship of you. We ask that you would enable us by your spirit to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we now ask for the work of the sovereign spirit of God in our own hearts, that he would grant us an understanding of this text, that he would be our guide and teacher, that he would show us the meaning of it and help us to make application of it in a wise and profitable way that you might be glorified and Christ might be honored. So we ask now for that work that only you can do. For we ask these things in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Brethren, here in the text of Scripture we just read this morning, the Apostle Paul expresses his heart and his hope, his heart and his hope as a minister to the Gentiles. For Paul's heart and hope were in full alignment, full agreement with the Word of God. Paul was devoted to the task of declaring how Christ is the only true hope of both the Jews and the Gentiles. In fact, as we saw last week when we examined verses 8 through 12 of Romans 15, Paul was eager that all men should know the full extent to which God in his great wisdom had made the gospel plain and accessible, and how God had tailored the saving mission of Christ in such a way that there could be no doubt to the Jews that God had been true to his promises, and there could be no doubt to the Gentiles who were once spiritual outcasts that God's mercy had flowed forth to them as well with great abundance. 
For in the case of the Gentiles especially, God had made his will known even through the pages of the Old Testament that he would be drawing the Gentiles to saving faith in himself and that Christ would be establishing his spiritual rule over the Gentiles through his universal church. So as we concluded our sermon in Romans chapter 15 last week, we observe from verse 13 that Paul offered a stirring prayer addressed to God the Father as the God of hope, requesting that his readers might be filled with all the joy and peace that comes through believing in Christ and that their hope, which was abounding, might be a clear display of the Holy Spirit's power. And now that we come to our sermon text this morning, we, we see that Paul turns his attention after praying to his Gentile readers themselves. And Paul begins to confide in them only as one who deeply loved them could possibly do. In fact, as we go through this section, and especially verses 13 through 17, we, we see that Paul's heart for them as a God-appointed minister is fully revealed. Paul just unfolds his heart. He reveals his heart. He unveils his heart to them. And what is revealed is a heart that was pleased with them. A heart that was pleased with them, a, a heart that delighted in the good that God was doing within them. And needless to say, this is one of the reasons why Paul was such an effective minister to and among the Gentiles. For whatever prejudices Paul may have had, whatever prejudices Paul may have experienced and possessed towards the Gentiles before his conversion had now been removed. And what the Spirit of God gave Paul was a heart that saw the Gentiles as God saw them. He saw the Gentiles as God saw them. He had a heart that rejoiced as they grew in the faith. And so as Paul writes to them here in our sermon text, he does not write to them as one who is displeased by them or one who's disturbed by their past or even by their present flaws and imperfections, but he writes to them as one who sees the good that God is doing in them and he rejoices in that good. And of course, this is what a loving and effective minister does. He sees the good that God is doing in those he serves. This is why those who are under the care of an effective minister respond to them and respond to him as they do, because they know that he is not merely concerned with pointing out their weaknesses and correcting them, but he is quick to see where they are making good progress. He is quick to see where they are growing by the grace of God. He's not hesitant to express the joy he receives from them because, again, his heart is with them and it is for them. That's a significant point to note. His heart is with them and for them. And is this what we see from Paul here in our sermon text? It is, for beginning here in verse 14 of Romans chapter 15, Paul leads from the heart. 
He leads from the heart. He's not merely speaking here from his intellect, from his theological knowledge. He's leading from his heart. He expresses what a loving and effective minister feels towards those he's called to serve. And what does Paul write first? Well, notice here in our text that Paul writes, I myself am satisfied with you. No doubt Paul wrote this not to flatter them. Paul did not write this to sway them with idle compliments, but to express to them from the very start of this section his complete confidence in their acceptance and their standing before God. For based upon what Paul had heard from sources that he genuinely trusted, remember, Paul has not seen many of these people face to face. But from what he's heard from sources he genuinely trusted, Paul was satisfied that his readers had a credible profession of faith in Jesus Christ, that he had no reason to question whether they were a part of God's family or not. And given that Christ had chosen them and had given them the spirit and the blessings of all joy and peace and believing, Paul was not one to show dissatisfaction with what God has done with what God was still doing. And so Paul begins here by expressing his belief that these believers were truly in a state of saving grace. And because they were, he could welcome them just as Christ had welcomed them. Remember what Paul said in Romans 15 and verse 7, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. He welcomes them, and not only that, but he addresses them here as my brothers. Notice that, my brothers. And this is further confirmation that Paul was willing to think the very best of his readers. He was willing to embrace them as his spiritual brethren based on what the Spirit had done in them, which in Paul's mind was satisfactory proof of who they were and how they should be received. If the Spirit of God has changed them, Paul reasoned, then who am I to question whether they're my brother or sister in Christ or not? They are my brother or sister in Christ by virtue of the fact that the Spirit has worked in them, that He has transformed them. And yet, not only was Paul willing to speak of himself as being satisfied with his Gentile brethren. But Paul also expresses his willingness here in verse 14 to accept them as being full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to being full of goodness. Even though he said in Romans chapter 7 and verse 8, I know that nothing good dwells within me that is within my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So how could Paul make this kind of statement here in Romans chapter 15 and verse 14? How could he say they were full of goodness? Well, Paul could make this statement not because they possess goodness in their flesh, not because they possess goodness in and of themselves, but because they were full of goodness in two senses of the term. First, they were full of goodness because they were in full possession of God the Holy Spirit. 
They were in full possession of God, the Holy Spirit, who is the source of all goodness. In fact, whatever goodness they had, whatever goodness they possessed, they possessed because of the Spirit's filling, because of the Spirit's influence. And so we can speak of a believer as being full of goodness in the sense that he or she is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, the good Holy Spirit, who produces goodness in and through his people. And not because of any inherent goodness that they from them, is that they put into practice, especially related to their unity, the commands that God had given to them. So the goodness that Paul speaks of here in verse 14 could refer to their willingness to believe good things about one another their willingness to believe good things about one another and their willingness to have and to express goodwill towards one another for Christ's sake. Then not only does Paul recognize the goodness of God that is evident within them, but Paul highlights the fact that they were filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. And this also points to the work of the Holy Spirit within them, revealing the truth to them and giving them the ability to minister to one another. For the knowledge that they were filled with was not the knowledge of all things worldly or earthly, but the knowledge of salvation through Jesus Christ. And in that knowledge, the knowledge of things spiritual, they were not only well grounded, but they were capable of instructing or admonishing one another in these same truths. And of course, this is the way that it should be among those who are growing in grace and growing in their dependency upon the Holy Spirit. For every believer is not only admonished to know what they believe in terms of knowledge, but they should also be capable through the Holy Spirit's leading of communicating to others what God has taught to them. And no doubt by commending his readers in this way, Paul was expressing his belief that these believers possessed a good knowledge, a, a good understanding of what God's saving purposes through Christ are. And Paul felt confident that they could admonish one another in their duties. And yet we should also know that Paul also saw areas in their spiritual life where they needed correction. So on one hand, he can say, because of the Spirit's presence within them, you are full of goodness. On the other hand, he can say with all truth and honesty that there were areas that needed correction. And Paul did not draw back or retreat from his duty to correct them by way of timely scriptural reminders. In fact, throughout this entire letter are timely scriptural reminders of their spiritual duties. And Paul's willingness to be bold with his readers and to remind them of the path that they should be following was also evidence of his true status as a minister of Christ. For a true minister of Christ cannot allow his natural lack of confidence or his tendency to want to please his people to keep him from doing his duty. But he relies upon the Holy Spirit to instruct the people even when he has to be bold about their sin. 
Paul relied upon the Holy Spirit to give him the boldness that was needed to address the spiritual needs of those whom he was called to serve. Furthermore, his boldness before God and men is rooted in the knowledge that he has an assignment from God. Paul had an assignment of God. He knew that, and he knew that he would be held responsible for fulfilling that assignment. And it is in this sense that Paul is speaking of here. It is his sense of service and stewardship before God that Paul speaks of here. And he speaks with stronger force than he does in other places. Because this influence, this burden that he has is a strong influence of his life. And his desire is that his people would be accepted by God. He knew that God would be his ultimate judge and their ultimate judge as well. And did the Apostle Paul see his ministerial service as something that he would be required to present to God? Did, did Paul see his ministerial service as something that he would be accountable for? Yes, he did. For Paul was keenly aware that he had been a recipient of God's grace and that what he was offering to God was nothing less than priestly service. But I find this amazing that Paul refers to himself as a priest in this sense and that he was giving priestly service. For Paul wrote here, in verses 15 and 16 of Romans 15, that he felt bound to remind them of these things because of the grace given to him by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so here Paul highlights several things about the ministry that he had received from God and what distinguished this ministry. Note these things. First of all, Paul mentions here that he had been able to do what he had done among God's people already merely because of the grace that had been given to him by God. It was grace that enabled Paul to do what he did. It was grace that equipped Paul to serve the way that he had done.